comes ahead on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the 101st episode of the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wigan and with me is a man who feels very screwed right now on the prospects of the show right now. Logan Stump. Yeah, so what people want... Is that the correct translation, Logan? um, I, I can't say the correct translation on, on this show. Um, somebody might be able to translate it over on Twitter, but they couldn't really do it there either. So you could tell that the people that translate it, and for those that don't know who, what we're talking about, uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez, uh, coach of F- or Charlotte FC. I about threw Cincinnati in there because we're getting ready to record that too. Um, but Charlotte FC's coach spoke today for 45 minutes with the media, Jordan. Um, and this was the day after we recorded with Alex. Um, because she was going out to training this morning and it was it's wild because he was talking about how honest he wanted to be and he was almost too honest because darwin machis or machis i don't know how to say the last name was a dp that had been rumored to come over i think he's in spain currently um, but he was rumored to come over from europe it was a big deal they were making a big deal out of it some people were even speculating that he was at the charlotte hornet game which would be interesting if he was over here in the united states but to, to today it came down. I think Tom Boger broke it where um, because of legal issues that he's currently dealing with in uh, wherever he is. I think it's in Europe somewhere. Wherever he is currently, uh, he is dealing with some legal issues and he will not be he won't be signing with Charlotte FC this season. So it's uh yeah. But the the coach came on. Uh, Miguel came on and said that basically, um, you know, we're still trying to complete this roster. But if you're looking this team right now we're screwed is basically what he said <laughs> so not uh, not ideal Jordan because I mean this preview the rest of this preview is going to go great because it, it was a lot of fun talking with Alex um, and I know you get you're getting to listen to it as you got you get to edit and produce it but um, she was high on a lot of the players I felt pretty good coming out of it this made me feel like there's a little bit more um, blood in the water than there needs to be right now and um, so I guess we'll get into that after the preview because I'll, I'll talk to you about kind of the stuff that she said and kind of sum that up in our, you know, concluding comments. But, yeah, this was this was fun to record and um, it's kind of fun to kind of talk about how much they're screwed. Yeah, I, I think you saying that this is not ideal 
to be hearing is kind of really underselling it. Uh, I've never seen in my life an MLS coach <laughs> say that we are screwed roster-wise because of a signing falling through. This is where the Charlotte model falls apart for me. And what I mean by that is trying to get all these international roster spots to go get signings um, instead of build, building a solid block here, you know who they had? Do, do you remember who they had? They had to oh, Jerry yeah. Schrotty, right? Uh, in the expansion draft that they went ahead and flipped. Uh, you could have had at least a goal scorer on, uh, you know, that's not going to take up an international roster spot in case of something were to fall through. Now the coach feels like they're screwed. Um, not the best uh, start to. Life in Charlie FC, and, and let's not forget this comes a day after Walker Zimmerman said that Charlotte mm. created no chances in their scrimmage against Nashville, and that uh, they barely ever had control of the ball that was not in their own half. I mean that that's pretty damning, um, I would say. And I, I don't know does does the coach saying this cause tensions with the front office? I, I mean. We've already had some turnover there too. I I don't know. I I feel very worried. I I feel very worried for Charlotte FC. And you only get one first impression as a new market in this league and to gain fans. Remember, Orlando had a very good first season. I felt like really made an impact in the in the in the team as a good first impression. And then they kind of fell off a bit and it's taken them a bit to kind of reclaim that fan base. If Charlotte doesn't start off strong, yes, they have tons of season ticket holders. What happens if they suck? Do they stick with it? I don't know. What's Panthers attendance. Cause they suck. Not I mean, I, I don't know. It's not good. Right. So I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of, look, you get one shot to have a good first season. And, uh, We'll talk about the expectations for Charlotte on, on the other side of this interview. Now, I was not present for this interview, so I do want to thank Logan for jumping in and and handling it, it himself. He felt probably really screwed when I texted him that I wasn't going to be able to make it. So uh, thank you for not sharing that on Twitter, though. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, I was a little nervous to be honest with you <laughs> um, the whole episode. Um, but yeah, it, it 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 it's hard covering an expansion team just because. And we talked about this in the interview, just like we talked with Moon Tower. Um, the fact that you're for so long covering just like weird stuff, like fan stuff, like crest and kits and random like signs that are put up and it, like it's just so all the random. international roster spots <laughs> yeah and we we talked about that too so i'm excited for everybody to hear this interview because alex is fantastic in what she does and she's currently covering nascar and um oh. mls so she's got she said she knew nascar she's known nascar she's done nascar now she had to learn mls and she said everybody in this market because they didn't really have that professional soccer team that was covered heavily they had to rely on this. I think Charlotte independence was our last like USL club that, that actually had some kind of prominence in Charlotte. So yeah, my dad she goes has in... a independent shirt. I bought him. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. So I guess we can get an interview and then we can discuss and kind of break down what she said afterward. And I give you the rundown. Yeah. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll introduce Alex and then we will 
see everybody on the other side. All right, when we are back from our break and uh, joining me on loan from the Charlotte Observer is Alex Andreev. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. No problem. I, it It's interesting because I like we, we, we cover Austin FC when they were joining the league last year and with all these new expansion clubs coming into the MLS, it's kind of fun to just kind of see, I guess, the grassroots and everything that's been growing. And, and they've seen soccer at a certain level in Charlotte, and they've been used to watching at least some kind of professional soccer, whether it be semi-professional or, you know, some of the youth academies that have been playing around in Charlotte. Um, but it, it's always fun to kind of see your guys' perspective on just the ground level and everything that's happening behind the scenes. It's like, you know, the, the, the rehearsal before the big day. And that's kind of what it's felt like following you. Um, and I know you've, you've done great coverage of that. Um, but can you kind of just tell people where they can find your work uh, and then maybe some other stuff that you cover? I know you cover a, a wide range of things. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I'm a reporter for the Charlotte Observer newspaper. Uh, and we've been, I mean, I, we've been covering this team kind of since the, the start of it in, in MLS, at least. And we've had other writers cover soccer in Charlotte for a really long time. But actually, I came uh, into this role um, originally as an NASCAR reporter, and that's what sort of my main beat and what I was hired to do. But, uh, you know, I was just telling you, Logan, like mm -hmm. I was essentially hired on the same day that the expansion bid announcement was happening for major league soccer team in charlotte uh -huh. so i've i've also picked up coverage of of this new mls team coming to charlotte charlotte fc and really seen the rollout of that team since it's uh, beginning here so yeah i i'm covering both stuff right now um really excited for this to finally kick off and to actually get to watch some soccer and watch this team play after you know so long Right. But because that was that was December 2019 when that happened. And then, you know, the inaugural season was delayed a year amid the pandemic. So, you know, we're, we're getting close. We're getting super close to that first kick. Um, and yeah, you can we'll, we'll be covering the team. We have been covering the team um, and just how it's growing and developing. So you can find all my work uh, soccer if you're curious about NASCAR, too, right. at um, charlotteobserver.com slash sports. And you can hit my byline or find me on Twitter as well. It's at Andrea of Alex. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, so not too far now. And I currently uh, reside in Orlando. I didn't even tell you that, but, um, they, but knowing Charlotte, I've been to Charlotte multiple times. Um, and just, I love the city. Uh, my best friend actually lives there. Uh, and, and the city's beautiful. It's, it's perfect real estate for sports teams. Like I loved, I used to love going to what were the Bobcat games. And then all of a sudden the Hornets came back and they changed their name. And then, you know, going to a couple of Panthers games, um, watching the Tar Heels and Duke, like that's always been something that has kind of ingrained because South Carolina never had the sports team. Um, so they always just kind of looked, to the north and uh, north in Charlotte, that's where people got their fix. So I think this is perfect for not only North Carolina, but South Carolina too. I think that this gives that region um, where it's kind of been lacking in that region uh, as far as a professional soccer team. I think it, it does pretty well in doing that. So I, I know fans are looking forward to your coverage of it. I know they're, they're, they're learning just as much as probably we are as covering the league um, and trust us. I mean, I know I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but maybe you too, that we're learning those, those weird salary cap. We talked pre-show about the salary caps and the different mm -hmm. rules that they have and the allocation money. But um, I, I'm, I hope that people uh, can find your work because I, I, I've really enjoyed kind of following along vicariously through you and, and how this has all gotten started. But 
Um, that just leads me into my first question. I, I want to ask you, um, when did you, you said that they got it back in December of 2019, right? The bid um, yes. was it, I mean, had they always wanted to kind of see professional soccer make it in Charlotte? Um, and then, you know, how long had this been going before the bid was actually made? Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would be remiss to say that this is like the first time that soccer is coming to Charlotte, because that's certainly not the case. Um, you know, and, and I'd argue even that like Charlotte has a pretty long history of hosting like minor league soccer teams, mm -hmm. uh, to put it, uh, to put it that way. Um, and, you know, the expansion bid happened more recently, but I can give like a little bit of context for just kind of Charlotte soccer history. Um, even though, you know, some of this was like well before even I was born, but I know right. we, the Observer has done some, you know, long time coverage of like just what the soccer landscape looked like and then how this uh, latest bid came to be to sort of get MLS here. Um, you know, the first team, the first professional team was in the 1980s uh, with the Carolina Lightning. And so that was mm -hmm. a team that played in the American Soccer League, which was below the North American Soccer League. Yeah. So it was all like pre-MLS stuff. And then um, the Charlotte Eagles came. That was early 1990s, I believe. Um, and then Charlotte Independence came, purchased the franchise rights for the Eagles to play in USL Pro. And then those teams have since moved around like the USL landscape at one mm -hmm. point, you know, the independents were looking at potentially trying to turn that into an MLS franchise. Um, there was a bid in 20, late 2016 and then throughout 2017, um, a push by Marcus Smith, who is the president of Speedway Motorsports, which operates a bunch of NASCAR racetracks like Charlotte Motor Speedway. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for an MLS team and try to bring that to Charlotte. And then that ultimately didn't come to fruition. There wasn't really like full buy-in from the city and county at that point. And then once David Tepper comes in, um, you know, buys the Carolina Panthers in 2018. And I think from that point on, it was, you know, I think he was pretty clear about wanting to try to bring an MLS team to Charlotte as well. And so with that organization, uh, you know, coming in, having essentially control at Bank of America Stadium, where Charlotte FC will be playing, and then working pretty closely with the city and county um, to make that bid possible. That's that's really when it's, those discussions started picking up was, you know, 2019, 2018, 2019, and then officially landing it in December 2019. It's always interesting, too, because they uh, like and just that whole process that you just explained just watching the Sacramento team fall apart and their expansion bid and, and everything going on there. And St. Louis currently trying to do the same thing that Charlotte did. Yeah. And, and Charlotte was pushed back a year, right? They were supposed to come into the, the league last season, but because of the pandemic, it didn't quite pan out that way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was supposed to be 21. And then um, over the, you know, just that COVID era, essentially, mm -hmm. you know, with, I think it was more so like, the league's call and just wanting to launch this team, being able to have full capacity right. seating and that sort of thing. So that's why it, it was essentially pushed back a year. So now 2022 is the official, you know, season inaugural season. So looking at the, looking at the city, um, is there a lot of excitement building up around because it does seem like every time we've covered an expansion team um, or talked about expansion teams and even so, you know, five years down the road, when you're talking FC Cincinnati, when we still talk to them, they still feel like a young club. Is there a lot of excitement? Like, do you feel in the area that there's a buzz in the city just about this team 
Um, and the buzz pun was not intended by any chance. <laughs> yeah, buzz city. No, <laughs> right. I, yeah, I mean, there is. And it, it's picked up. You know, the closer we get to them actually playing in that first match, it's definitely picked up. You know, I, I feel like I was doing a lot of stories just early on where, you know, they have these signings, but it's so far off that you couldn't mm-hmm. really get the feeling of that excitement. But now that we're closer, um, you know, the Charlotte FC, I guess now former Charlotte FC president, now right. Uh, you know, but um, Nick Kelly, who wor- worked very closely with this team, was the kind of first president and leading a bunch of the ticket sales um, ahead of launch. You know, he talked to reporters last week and was just giving us an update on ticket sales figures. You know, the team's been really adamant about trying to drive a high number of ticket sales with this launch. Yeah. You know, they want to break an MLS league record with around 74,000 and try to sell out that first home match um have said they want to average 30,000 uh for for the rest of the season uh for home matches so i mean that's i mean that's big for for mls but it's also big for just you know charlotte sports too i think you know the fact that there is no like major league baseball team uh competing mm-hmm. for attention we've got the panthers and hornets is really the pro you know men's franchises here um and Charlotte FC kind of filling in is that next big one in MLS. I, you know, just looking at at those attendance figures and goals, I think pre-COVID Panthers were averaging around like 72,000 fans for mm-hmm. home games. Um, the Hornets were averaging, I want to say like 17,000 fans per game in early January was a stat I saw. So that places Charlotte FC like, you know, if they can if they can hit this record and then still average around thirty thousand fans, I mean that's a big deal for for Charlotte sports scene for sure. And I know when the Panthers were good, that that fan base there in Charlotte uh, is intense, and they and they've got a good fan base. Like I, I think they've got a city that that does it's a it seems to be a younger city um, from what I can remember. Um, it does draw a lot of the younger crowd, and and I know Nashville has had major success with that as well because they're a big flock of of young people going to and want a professional team, and a lot of people, um, you know, not even watching soccer before. So I was just kind of interested on on that aspect, and and you talked about Nick Kelly uh, and the sixty thousand ticket or sixty thousand sold um, tickets for that opening match. Um, I did want to ask you about, and it was kind of like in the notes, but not really. Uh, it, there was a lot of backlash from the outside. Uh, and the, how that pay scale were like the tickets were more expensive than a lot of other clubs that you know offer mm-hmm. soccer specific stadiums. Was there, I mean, was that mostly from just the outside? Were there a lot of fans that were just that were maybe not so happy about the fact that the, the ticket pricing had been kind of high for a for a team that's just coming into the league? Yeah, no, you're right. There, there, that definitely was a big story when the you know season ticket prices were first rolled out. You know, they were most expensive in the league for the season ticket package essentially i mean what the league or i guess what the team has since done is sort of rolled out these single match day tickets that that people can buy which are you know much more reasonable and and you know very comparable to what other match day tickets look like for as low as like 15 dollars. you know you can get season tickets now so they've they've made affordable options for people i think um in response to some of that but you know, I think people have also, you've seen people are still willing to pay for the tickets too, yeah, right. you know, so, so I, you know, they haven't necessarily changed that um, pricing structure. I think they've just opened it up by making those uh, single match tickets a little bit more affordable. They're going to offer lock up tickets as well for some of that with, 
kind of certain rules around when and how you can get that, you know, it's going to yeah. be kind of like first come first serve with limited supply um, for those. But, but yeah, no, there, you know, that definitely was a big story early on with just how it was rolled out and kind of some unclear communication about, you know, why the prices were so high um, and that sort of thing, because yeah, it's certainly for, for MLS ticketing pricing, uh, the, the season tickets at least were fairly steep. Yeah, I know it caught a lot of attention from a lot of our friends that were in Cincinnati and Nashville, but I, but the, and all that they were they're just basically like, oh well, I mean, tip, tickets are typically cheaper in the Midwest than they are going to be on the East Coast, so it's kind of like that too, where you've got the cities that do are, are wealthier cities, and Charlotte has known been known for the banks and everything that go on in Charlotte with tech and stuff. That it, it is an up and rising city, and I think that's kind of what. Um, those prices really meant and I I know fans were upset and it, uh, from what I saw it was mostly fans that weren't Charlotte fans so I don't know why they cared so much but they they seem to be they seem to be more up in arms than the Charlotte fans did the Charlotte fans like you said were flocking to get these tickets um, and so like I want to ask you about that because the the fans are what make the team uh, if you don't have the support it can be brutal uh, I know New York City uh, FC and the Red Bull they both had a really tough time at times, uh, you know, filling stadiums. The LA teams uh, have been a little bit more successful, but these bigger cities um, tend to have a little bit harder time. Chicago has a hard time. Charlotte, not quite as big of a city, but um, pretty important that they get a huge fan base in behind them to start because once you start to lose that fan base, it, it can turn ugly and it starts to turn into like a Miami or it starts to turn into some of these situations with, you know, Cincinnati. But I just want to get your thoughts on um, – the, the fans and are they is this team making more efforts now you know to connect to the community are they doing things in the community that, that are helping you know bring fans in is it part like you know instilling some of these academy players like bringing in all these academy players so that more people are kind of invested in this club or you know what are the club doing outside of just providing stuff on the pitch uh, to kind of bring fans closer yeah I mean and I think that was probably maybe not so much like an early criticism but it was something that I think the club wanted to certainly address um fairly early on and actually one one I guess kind of unique thing that they've done is this um they've hired a chief fan officer role right. which is thought to be this like new you know position that's not really like you don't see in other clubs in the you know in MLS necessarily mm -hmm. where it's actually someone specifically on the company's payroll that's really that's that's his job Sean McIntosh um uh He's the guy that was hired as this chief fan officer who is essentially a, the point of contact and this like fan facing role for any of these communications that are happening between like supporters groups and the club and just the community in the club. And, you know, he's like sort of the guy that you can direct any questions and generating ideas for mm -hmm. what the team can be doing to get out in the community. Um, you know, and I think one area Nick, Nick was asked about this the other day too, but um, and I think we've just seen at certain like events that they've had supporters events and um, even just, you know, rollouts of, you know, jerseys or, you know, certain player announcements and things like that. Any, anything that, that they've done leading up to this, that's been a big kind of ticketing promotional event around this club. Um, I think they've definitely tried to make more of an effort to connect with the city's Latino community as well. Um, and, and just kind of building out even just, you know, certain media coverage and trying to get Spanish speaking media, you know, very involved and mm -hmm. covering these events has been a way that 
they, they've sort of made strides to to connect a little bit more in that sense because I think that was somewhere that fairly early on um, there was this sort of like disconnect between okay we've got supporters groups but how can we really bring in um, the Latino community and connect with them if mm-hmm. if these are people that are going to be very passionate about our games and our players and our fans because you know the team does have a lot of um, you know Spanish speaking players Hispanic right. players Latinx players on the team so you know if they've got the guys then they want to make sure that the fans are coming out and seeing them as well yeah it's a, it, I, I loved talking to the Austin FC guys because they said the same thing a lot of their players were Latino they they needed that influence of fans and they have a huge Latino population and they needed those fans in the supporter section to cheer them on and, and really a rally and a lot of them had grown up watching Liga Mekis and they you know they've watched some of these South American clubs too um, and they've talked a lot about just you know in using the culture in that. Um, but it was interesting too, because it was like that, that was, that was all they had to write about. And I'm sure you feel the same way that the, it feels at times, like when this was all happening in 2019, 2020, you just felt like I'm going to write today about the supporters section. Cause I really got, you know, the supporters section got a new lead. I don't know what to do. Like, I yeah, right. that's, what, that's what's there. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, I got to make some, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I did want to ask you about uh, David Tepper, uh, a, a very rich owner. And it, honestly, I, I always felt like this was good for the league if the money is used. And uh, to be honest, right away, it looks like Charlotte at least is going to make the effort to spend money, um, whether it be through all their 12 or 14 international spots that they seem to have collected somehow um, in some way. But it, I wanted to ask you just more about him and, and that ownership. I know – you know, following the Panthers uh, from a distance, it, it there had been good seasons, but it kind of had been a disaster with their sports team um, and, and how they've operated that franchise. And, you know, I, there's always concern, I think, too, because the crafts like the crafts own um, the Revs up in New England. There's worry that like the Wilfs owning Orlando, like it, it is tough for NFL owners to dip down into the soccer leagues. Um mm-hmm. Is there like that feeling around this, you know, the city that maybe, you know, a lot of more focus is going to be spent on the Panthers or maybe the Panthers are going to lose focus because now he's got this other team and they're kind of playing in that same building. And it seems to be like there's expenses going every which way. And there's a lot of question marks, I think, from from a lot of people on the outside that are looking at it going, does he know how to run a soccer club? Is there that kind of sentiment or does it feel like he's hired the people necessary underneath him to do a good job to make these investments? Well, yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, certainly from the outside, I've heard that too, especially because they are playing in Bank of America Stadium. Mm-hmm. And naturally, one question that always gets brought up yeah. is like, are they going to play in a soccer specific right. stadium ever? <laughs> and, you know, I, I've asked them, you know, the team ownership mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just people on the front office side there, if that's ever a plan, talk to MLS and see if that's a plan. <laughs> Not heard any indication right. that that is at this point. <laughs> Um, no matter how many times we ask, but yeah. you know, they, so they seem set on Bank of America Stadium at least, and, and okay. have invested a lot in renovating that to make it more mm-hmm. soccer friendly. So I think that, you know, even just those renovations, even though Bank of America Stadium is certainly, um, you know, it can be used for a bunch of like multi-purpose events, concerts, other sporting events, things like that. Um, a, a lot of those renovations in this latest package, you know, it was, it was a fifty million dollar renovation project that was happening, that. Um, with a lot of it aimed at building it out for soccer mm-hmm. um you know and the turf field was another like point of <laughs> concern yeah, right like, 
as well because you know soccer players hate playing on turf but yeah. um that was another thing just of like in terms of sustainability and cost for the yeah. stadium um you know and i was out there actually like right after it snowed and it was seemed to at least you know they were able to play on it fairly easily right. the next day so i was like okay i could see <laughs> turf kind of works here um but but I think like the investment has been there certainly on in in trying to bring the right people in. It seems like you know Zoran Cronetta was uh, the sporting director for Charlotte FC, and he was like one of the first hires that they brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Tom Glick, who was former Charlotte FC president and then former Tupper Sports president, who's recently left, um, which we haven't heard anything on really right. why that is at this point. But you know he had a really you know extensive soccer background prior to coming over to um to the charlotte side and and the tepper sports side and you know very much i think was was focused on making soccer a priority and and you can see that with with zoran as well having this very you know large and expansive international scouting um connections and and uh, just kind of ability to bring in some of this, some of this high-level talent, and and the scouting department. You know, they've almost had they've had a ton of time to really like hone in on some of these players too that I think they've wanted. And um, you know, I think you haven't necessarily seen like these big name signings that might make people go like, wow, you know, Charlotte is really you know, investing millions and millions mm-hmm. to bring in these huge guys. But I think I don't think that means necessarily that it's going to you know, it's not, it's going to not work or they're not getting the talent in there that still is going to be able to perform in the league. I think it's just a matter of this, you know, this scouting department that they've put together is trying to be very conscious of like, we want to get players in here that you can build a team around. You can build a franchise around that are going to sign for multiple years. They're not just going to be here for like, you know, two years and we're going to pay millions of dollars and then they're going to go leave for Europe or something again or retire or whatever. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would say that just from that, it, it makes me hopeful that there is, I think, some real like thought and investment and, and attention to this team. And, you know, they want to they, they put out all of these massive ticketing goals. So I think they want the fans to be there and they want to build something for the fans to root for ultimately. Right. Yeah. So I, I, and you talked about it, you alluded to it um, and they did have a technical director leave for the crew flick leaves it, like it. Is there, that's obviously concerning, right? For, I mean, for fans, it seems like that was a concern when, when a lot of their front office staff is leaving. Yeah, you're, you're referring to Mark Nichols, right? Yeah, sorry, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't think the, the timing certainly did not, um, has not looked good for Charlotte FC in that sense too, especially just having all of these like Tepper Sports changes at the same time. Um, you know, you have that happen. And then right after you've got changes just within the leadership structure of Tepper Sports, you know, within a month out of like this first kick. So, you know, it, it sounds like they've already got plans, I guess, to essentially fill in those roles and restructure. Um, now they've got a new president as well coming in. Joe Labou, who was more so on the ticketing side for the Panthers. And then with Tom Glick leaving, it'll be Nick Kelly, essentially more or less stepping into Tom Glick's role with a slightly different title. Um, and then Joe Labou heading stuff on the Charlotte FC side. And we really haven't heard that much, honestly, from him um, or what kind of his long-term plans and visions are. But I've been told also that like Nick is going to be sticking around at least for, um, you know, into the early part of the season and then we'll probably maybe take 
take more of a back seat. Um, yeah, and then I mean, Mark certainly was like, you know, had been with the club since fairly early on in its launch and was really trying to build out the academy team. Um, but you know, once Miguel and I think it, it seemed like Mark wanted to leave for that opportunity, and then yeah, it was just you know the the changes I think. It, coming so close to like this first kick at least all of this restructuring that they've sort of had on the the staffing side um yeah i mean it, it's not optimal timing certainly like you you want to have some, some consistency leading into you know the the launch of this team that's mm -hmm. taken so long to put together and then um not have it be a distraction i think and maybe that's part of just how the club is looking at this is uh, in terms of all these leadership changes is like yeah it's it's definitely not ideal to have all of this stuff happening in the background when you want to be focused on the <laughs> soccer side and how the team is performing. Um, but, you know, it seems like they have a, a plan in place of how they want to like sort of pick up at least and, and get through this first, you know, match the March 5th home opener. Mm -hmm. And then we'll probably see some changes in terms of roles and, um, you know, just who's coming in, who's staying um, and, and what those, I guess new roles actually look like for the for the remainder of the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's again. It, it seems like the outsider perspective. Like it's a common thread, but it's it's like looking at it and going, okay, they're trying to put a team together, and they don't need all these distractions. The biggest thing was when he did leave to go to when Mark Nichols does leave, and he goes to Columbus Crew team that has been you know touted about the league for the last couple of years as being one of the premier clubs. And then it's like, okay, well, that's that's kind of confusing. But then again, I think what people hadn't realized was when they do start to make different hirings, when they bring in uh, Miguel Angel, uh, Ramirez, they've got different, you know, ideas and visions. And maybe those visions weren't necessarily aligned or maybe they, you know, come to find out I've done the work that I need to do. We're in the next phase of scouting and directing and my job's here is done. So I think that's also something I think people wrote about and, and kind of questioned was, maybe his part was done. Maybe it was Miguel and, and they just didn't have the same kind of visions or maybe, you know, that role is going to be laid out for him later on as you know, some of these sports teams do tend to look at coaches and go, okay, what you're going to be more of the sport sporting director and the technical director. What do you need from us? Um, so I think yeah. that's always interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, and Miguel's background too is very much so on the Academy side as well. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure he probably came in and, and looked at, you know, he, some of his earliest comments were like, I don't feel like a lot of the academy players are ready to step mm -hmm. into this first team role. Um, and so it, it'll be interesting to see how much he gets involved in terms of just the academy development or leaves that to kind of a separate staffing and structure um, as well. I mean, I imagine he'll, he'll want to be pretty involved in it just based on his background. Right. So leading into the next question, it, it is about uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez. Um, he leads this club through this first season. Can you kind of talk to us about, you know, his history, where he comes from, and then kind of maybe some formations or styles that he sorts of, I mean, obviously formations are a little iffy because he's only had a preseason match and then the media, they just banned from the rest of it. But yeah. it's like, can you just speak to his style and then, you know, what, who he is as a person? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, well, somewhat. <laughs> so right. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, yeah. Of course we'll I can. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, um, no, he does have like a very distinct personality and, and coaching style, I will say, though, you know, that some of the earliest feedback that we've heard from the players has been just that he, he coaches almost like a professor, like he almost teaches okay. as he coaches has, has mm -hmm. been what we've heard from a lot of the players. 
um, that are, are also getting to know him and working with him for the first time or even a long time. Um, and that, like this, this style and brand that he brings to soccer, you know, it's expected to be very distinct and unique. He's talked a lot about wanting to bring this possession-based um, game uh, to the city, wants to make it very watchable and fun for fans as well. So I think that was part of the, the decision to hire him ultimately was, you know, if this was a big goal for the team to try to make attendance high and get people to turn out, how are we going to bring a coach in that's going to help that mission ultimately? <laughs> um, right. So, you know, what's going to be watchable and, and fun. And then it's up for debate, like, you know, okay, how watchable and fun is possession <laughs> <laughs> right. based system, I'm sure. Right. But, but that's just how I've heard him like describe his own brand of soccer too, is I think it's going to be really fun to watch. And at least what we've seen early in some of these training, you know, and, and granted there's not been like a ton of access so far to in terms of form. I can mm. tell you about formations yet or anything like that right. necessarily, but um you know, it's it's a lot of just super quick movement and short passes. And the players have also described it as just like a different way to almost think about spacing, like their own positions and spacing around the ball. You know, even reports that I've heard from these early closed door friendlies have been that it's the players positions are very fluid, actually. So you might see guys kind of filling in um, different roles and positions just as you're watching them on the field. Mm-hmm. Um his, you know, his background, uh, just in terms of like where he's come from, I mentioned the academy portion a little bit. Um, you know, it seems like he's coached in almost every country, right. but probably what he's most well recognized for was that 2019 Copa Sudamericana win mm-hmm. in the del, del Valle. So he has a little bit of a history of like overperforming with teams, if that makes sense, you know, like uh, doing better, maybe exceeding expectations in a way. Um and then most recently coached at Internacional in, in Brazil. We've already seen like Vinicius Mello is, is a, or mm-hmm. Mayo, I guess is how you pronounce that. Right. But, um, but, you know, we've seen some of those connections already kind of play out and, and come to fruition on the Charlotte FC side as well from just relationships that he, he had at Internacional. So I, you know, that at least as far as I know, like the, the brand of soccer is exp- supposed to be very like exciting and entertaining and um you know hopefully it just produces results as well on the field so speaking of the results on the field um, i want to ask you about a couple of players and i can just kind of rattle off the list here um and just you know it's always hard with these because it's like okay there's a ton of different players we can talk about but there's ones that that catch people's eyes just because of where they come from also you know i, I think they made one of the best moves that they've probably made um, quietly and getting Anton walks um, from Atlanta United, but I'm going to just rattle off a couple of names. And then if you can just maybe give some background or maybe some things that you know about uh, some of these players, um, just to give us a little bit of an idea as to what they're feeling out there. And I know I'll miss a couple of names here and there, but the, again, I don't want to have you go through a whole roster that doesn't uh, sounds time consuming. So um, yeah. the first one, I think because of where he comes from, because people know who he is, because he won a premier league title, um, can you just speak a little bit to Christian Fuchs um, and, you know, what he brings? Uh, he's a veteran, 34 or 35, I think. Um, what does he bring for Charlotte FC um, and a team that seems to be pretty young? Yeah, I, I mean, I think he was – he's probably been touted as, like they've, – they've certainly promoted him the most yeah, early right. on as one of their earlier signings. Um, you know, yeah, everyone knows him from Leicester City and, and the Premier League, I think – 
what he brings really is just leadership. Maybe not so much like MLS experience necessarily, mm. but just having that Premier League experience is, um, you know, you, you can't really beat that. And, you know, that that leadership quality, you certainly see, like I was, at, you know, I watched some of the games too when he was playing on the Independence on loan here, mm-hmm. um, which was almost like, it, it was kind of cool to see him after <laughs> like, he got this Premier League <laughs> like playing with the USL team. And I did a, a story on that because it was him, um, Adam Armour and Brant Bronico that were all on that team together, mm-hmm. um, you know, playing on loan. And uh, so, but you, but you can certainly see that, you know, and all the guys on Independence were talking about like, yeah, you know, you just, you know, he is like, we follow his lead very much so in terms of just what he's doing in drills and how he's warming right. up and how he's showing up to practice and, um, you know, what he's doing beforehand. Like, like one of the great quote, I think, was like, you know, he, he was like, oh, man, I did it. I was just asking, you know, what's it been like when you first came in here and what are some examples of just like the differences and he's like well you know I remember doing a slide tackle pretty early on (laughs) like a training and everyone's looking at me like why are you doing a slide tackle (laughs) but that's just how it plays right so I think it like very much so elevates um you know the the people around him with the experience he has so so that's what I sort of foresee him bringing to this Charlotte FC team as well I'm sure the uh, I'm sure the USL guys are looking over going, oh, we gotta play that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. This, right. this guy's like a, a man child. I don't want to play. Um, but it, so Anton walks. We we alluded to him. Uh, I Jordan and I uh, we we covered the expansion draft um, and it it was uh, a little anticlimactic, but it it was done and but it was cool because it they they did use the expansion draft kind of different. Uh, I mean it was you know, a lot of just selling players for more money and allocation money. They wanted to get, collect more assets, I think. And, but I, I think the one pick that they really did make and, and kept and are going to be successful with is Anton walks because we just got done with our Atlanta United preview. And we talked with Chris Smith who covers MLS and um, the Atlanta United. And he said that that's a huge loss for Atlanta United. They didn't have room for him because of miles Robinson. Um, yeah. And you got guys like that, like Alan Franco, who are just kind of blocking him. You've got Anton Walks, who is probably going to become one of the better center backs in this league. Can you kind of just speak to maybe some of his skills? And I know he had a rough time because, you know, he found out that he's going to Charlotte because Atlanta's decided, you know what, he'll be fine. We're not going to protect him. We have to let him go. Charlotte were like vultures and took him, and it was brilliant, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right, like first pick in, in the expansion draft, too. And yeah, as you mentioned, that center back. I, I also, I mean, I know he's he's done played a little bit of right back, too. So I mm-hmm. will be actually very curious to see how he fits into Miguel's system right. and just whether they play him more in this like center back role or kind of have him flex to that right back position where it seems like they might, uh, you know, be lacking a little bit um, mm-hmm. just in terms of roster. So, yeah, no, I, I think certainly you, you saw the success that he's had in MLS. And he, and I think that's what he also brings to the Charlotte FC team is just an, a team that has been so international heavy. I mean, granted, he was technically international as well, right. um, being from England, but uh, he has the MLS experience that I think Charlotte FC was getting a little bit of criticism for of like, you know, is this team going to be good? And it's there are so many international players that don't have MLS experience. So I think that's what, you know, he's, he's had proven success uh in the league and really kind of holding down that back line. So I, I expect that, yeah, he'll, he'll very much be a kind of a, a key player for Charlotte as well. Um, Jordi uh, Alcivar is a young designated player. So they're using that 22 initiative. Um, is he expected to 
come in and, and be in one of these starting roles? Is this, or is this more one of those signings that like they sign him, he becomes a project and they, you know, sparingly he'll start and kind of work his way into the 11. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of foresee him as a starting player, honestly, mm-hmm. or at least they're going to, it seems like they're going to test him out that way. Um, but yeah, I mean like Ecuadorian player 22 yeah, on the younger side. I don't know why like he like kind of seems older to me, but <laughs> yeah, central midfielder. Um, yeah. And the, the like young designated player kind of title, it mm-hmm. seems to me would allocate that like they've spent a significant amount of money on him and they want him to be again, like one of these franchise players potentially. Um, yeah. So, you know, whether he plays kind of like that box box midfielder role or yeah. whether, you know, and how much, how many minutes he's getting, I think kind of is like a question, something that I'm still sort of trying to figure out, like right. really into this whole thing, but, but I certainly see him as like one of their kind of key starters right now, or at least, you know, being a regular, like halftime substitution or something like that. Is there concern about Vinicius Mello? I mean, it, I saw, or Mayo, it, I saw that he was going to miss the preseason. Is there concern with the injury or is this just more of like precautionary? Uh, you know, I, um, yeah, I mean, before I, I was honestly told earlier that like he was good to go on in terms of mm-hmm. injury stuff. And that's what I had been hearing kind of coming out of the Brazilian and it, even just like reports from the Brazilian side was right. that, you know, it's going to be a shorter injury. So I don't think it's good necessarily that yeah. it's taking this long right. for um, that like full recovery to happen. And the fact that it's going to be like the expectation is that he's going to be out for uh, you know, preseason at least, and then potentially into the start of the season. And that, I, I think that's more so con- concerning just because they don't really have, they can't really afford to not have these, the forwards and strikers and wingers uh, be out right now necessarily. I mean, they can, it's it's early, but the I, I think that's where the roster you're seeing is like needing those positions to be filled the most. And so to not have Venetius as, a, as, as a, an option in training with the team right now, um yeah i mean that's not that's not ideal i don't think right um goalkeeper it seems like they've got a strange option like they're not i wouldn't say right now i'm looking at on a paper and going okay that's the starter it looks like it's going to be much more of like your battle for this starting position we'll see which one's the best or is that see is that seemingly going to be it or are they going to rely on one of these you know veteran keepers that does have mls experience yeah, no, I I mean, I almost when I was just like kind of looking at their moves and stuff, I was thinking that it would be um, Christian, uh, Christian, I don't know if I'm like, pronouncing <laughs> it in the Croatian yeah. way. But um, yeah, so Christian Kalina was <laughs> Christian Kalina <laughs> was um, kind of the guy that I was looking at is like, he's the international player and they're bringing him over, you know, from it, it looked to me just like, okay, this is going to be most likely their starter. Um, and then because they filled in some of those other roles with like Adrian Zendejas on the mm-hmm. USL side is like a free agent. I think that that more so was a move because what Miguel was saying, like they didn't have necessarily the academy players to potentially fill in, which is why they're having four right now on their roster. Um, and then you've got, yeah, Pablo Cisniega, who is another mm-hmm. guy um, with, with MLS experience coming from LAFC and George Marks was there uh, from, from Clemson um, is their fourth brought in during the super draft. So it seems like they've got kind of this goalkeeper heavy roster and mm-hmm. 
at least my understanding is that like in the system that Miguel wants to run, it's it's a very, again, particular kind of goalkeeper that they need um, to, to play this way. It's someone who's going to be able to, you know, throw the ball up as, as far right. up as the, as the field as possible and super tall and, right. and get it there is what I was noticing. I'm like, man, throw a tall guy. <laughs> right. George. Then, um, but, but yeah, I mean, and, and Christian came a little bit later on, like he wasn't here for some of those early training days too. So I didn't really get to see him too much. Usually the goalkeepers would be out slightly earlier mm -hmm. than the others um, for those starts of training. And, you know, they've, Christian was starting at least this like latest friendly that they played against Nashville. Um, he was their starter uh, and, and they lost to Nashville ultimately. So it'll be interesting once they have some more games coming up um, in Charleston who we're seeing, I think, in that role mm -hmm. um, as the starting goalkeeper. So yeah, I mean that's that's a position again. They've got they've got four, and it might be just you're seeing them, uh, you know, switch guys in and out and, and give everyone a little bit of time to determine who is that starter. So two more players. Um, one was really interesting because I, I think the kid's going to be really good, and he's one of those super draft picks that I, that I think. I mean, looking at the skill, looking at what has been written. This seems to be one of those kids that, that a lot of people think have a chance to, to make it in this league and then possibly throw his name as he gets older into the U.S. men's national team considerations. Um, and that's Ben Bender, 20-year-old um, or 21-year-old that came out of Maryland. Can you kind of just speak to some of his talent, Adidas, or a generation Adidas uh, player? Um, so he's one of those top uh, college or collegiate players that, that is coming out this year. Um, do you see a role for him or is this going to be more of those sparingly? I know a lot of these guys come out, they you play, you know, 10 matches, maybe 12 matches, depending. Or do you see this more of like him having a, a more prominent role because this is an expansion side? Yeah, I mean, I just based on, I guess, like the the playing time that we've seen kind of early and stuff, mm -hmm. I, I, my initial thought was like, no, he wouldn't be. And he's like super draft and he's going to wind up on supplemental roster and not really, <laughs> but, but, you know, like they've already, he's already scored a goal in one of their friendlies okay. against um, the Granada's men's national team and, you know, earned some playing time and stuff, describes himself as this like box to box midfielder who really likes this, um, you know, the system that Miguel is playing in and that he's playing in, for Miguel, like, you know, he's, he's talked about a lot about feeling like he fits into the system well. Um, and so I think for that reason, like you might see him, you might see him come and, and make more of an impact earlier than might be expected for someone that was picked up in a super draft, I guess, you know, like he was first pick. Um, but, but again, I, I think even just seeing that I'm like, yeah, but how many of these guys like start off right away on, on that first team and senior roster? Um, but again, you know, like if he does continue to have a really, really strong, you know, preseason, then sure, you know, why not? There could certainly be a role on, right. for, for an expansion team for him. Last one, and this one was, um, I think this is a big side. Like usually a lot of the, and we saw it last year with Austin, we covered Austin. They could not and still have not found a number nine that is consistent enough to play game in and game out it seems like they're still trying to see if they can find different options it seems like charlotte actually did a really nice job of putting all you know allocating their time and finding that correct player for his system and i think that's what a lot of teams struggle with i think cincinnati has that issue where they just went out and bought a striker because he's shiny it, this is this seems more of like a perfect fit I, I was reading a lot about him i was watching a lot of his film 
uh, he, he's perfect. It looks like for this kind of possession ball that uh, Ramirez wants to play because I think he can carry a ball really well. He's really comfortable outside of the box, which you don't see a whole lot with the number nine. And he's dangerous inside the box, um, and he scores goals. Like he he can he can score goals. He's like thirty five goals uh, in his professional career as he comes over. Um, can you just speak to how important he is as a DP signing? Um, one of the club's biggest, first one, biggest one, um, and then kind of what you expect from him. Yeah, I mean, no, cer- certainly the club has been touting him. I-, I think the way that I've described it to others too, and maybe some that don't know like soccer as well necessarily right. know it's a soccer show, but yeah, he certainly seems like kind of this franchise player mm-hmm. for Charlotte, right? You know, it's a four-year contract with an option year for um, Carol Swiderski. I don't think we've mentioned. I don't think we mentioned his name. Yeah, we didn't mention his name. Yeah, Carol Swiderski. Yeah, Polish striker, uh, first DP. Um, you know, with his contract was worth around $5 million. Mm-hmm. So that's the most so far like that Charlotte has spent. There might be more coming, but um, you know, that I, I think certainly you've seen the impact that he's had for, you know, on the Pol- Poland side um, with the national team there. And then Pauk was like the, the Greek club that he signed over from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think just the the speed and kind of ability to, you know, make some really impressive goals. Like even just watching him is is fun to watch. Um, just some of the balls that he's been able to play and still find the back of the net um, mm-hmm. has been, I think, you know, I think I consider that a pretty good, strong signing for Charlotte, even though, you know, there, again, there might be fans here that are like, I have no idea who the heck this <laughs> yeah. person is. Um, but, but again, like the team thinks, you know, that they, they got a guy that, that almost was like, wow, his, the caliber and level that he's played at. Um, I know just like Zoran w- was, was talking about it and he's like, you know, I, I feel like we got someone that, um, you know, people were looking at just in the international market, like how mm-hmm. did this expansion team land him? Right. <laughs> because he's going to be really good. If not, you know, he already is good, but like, he's going to continue to, to get better and, and expected to make an impact in this league. So whether that happens, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, right. Is, like put expectations too high, but um, that's kind of the word word about Carol is that yeah this is a this is a good signing for them. And that's the toughest part I think too. Like what you said, you can't guarantee success for especially number nines because number nines can be very successful in different leagues. And you're going, man, they tore this league up, or they tore that league up, or they tore you know. But then they get here, and it's a totally different league. And I think guys come over here from Europe, from South America, and they think. Well, it's just MLS, and it and it used to be that way. It was just MLS. Now it's more of like this is a physical, young, getting better league, and it's improving. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing the quality of talent improve. The defenses are improving. And I think it's hard for strikers and number nines to find goals. And I know um, my co-host is a big Union fan, and he'll he he'll listen back to this and probably yell at the at the audio. But I always look at Casper Shabelko and said, you know, he, while he does facilitate well, he was never that guy. Like, he just never really panned out. They ship him off to Chicago. I, this didn't feel that way. This felt much more like this fits the system. This is kind of what he is all about. And, you know, this Polish striker could very well fit in here with the system. Yeah, and I think that's why, they, you know, the, the uh, scouting staff and coaching staff talk so much about, you know, building out the spine of the team first mm-hmm. was the thing I kept hearing was, like, really – building back that defensive line, getting all their midfielders in before focusing on, on some of these strikers and wingers. Um, and so this again was a signing that I look as like, is a very kind of specific 
um, move as like this, you know, this is going to fit in well, and this is what we're looking for and the type of quality um, that he brings. So, you know, you hope it, <laughs> it pays off. Right. And pans out. But again, it's, it's early. We'll see, you know, they get right. hurt and it's like, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, then it's all out the window and you get it, you get to start from scratch. Um, so my, my, if my co-host was here, he'd say, uh, he wants to ask you this question. He always gets to ask this question, but I get to do it today because he's a bum and doesn't show up. But um, the, your expectations for Charlotte FC, and I'm not going to ask you to, to, to predict playoff spots or anything crazy, um, but I just want to ask you, what do you think would be a good season? If you're looking back on it, what would be a good season um, when we get through 2022 or head into 2023? If you're looking back at the season, what makes a good season for Charlotte FC? What do they need to do to make that the case um, here as they begin their first year? Yeah, I mean, well, the club has already kind of set some pretty high expectations for mm-hmm. themselves, I would say. Um, and so now it's almost a matter of like trying to trying to live up to those a little bit. You know, the, the club came out pretty early and said, like, we want to make playoffs in the first year and not just make playoffs, but host a playoff right. game. So that's like, you know, top top three, top four in the mm-hmm. conference. Um so I think that would be, you know, say, sort of meeting their own expectations and maybe that's a good place to start. But for an expansion team, again, like, you know, I think making playoffs is is big, mm-hmm. you know, meeting some of these attendance figures. I think that would be a win for this team in general is just, you know, the like the, the 74,000 is all like well and good and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think it'll be more so how many people are going to continue to show up for matches throughout the season. It's a long season. Um, you know, they can make playoffs. That'll be huge. But are they going to put something on that fans are going to want to consistently come out for and hit that 30,000 um, average attendance goal for home matches would be would be big. And then I think just making, you know, maybe not necessarily hosting playoff match, but I mean, making playoffs would be, I think, um, maybe not an expectation, but <laughs> right. But they've said it's it's an expectation, so I guess I will I will also go with that. That like if the the club thinks they can do it, and then just looking at some of the guys they've brought in. Again, we'll have to see kind of how the season progresses. Um, but you know, playoffs would be big, and they you know they've had a lot of time to put this team together and have talked so much about how particular um, they're being with some of these signings. So I think you know get it get a couple of couple more wingers mm-hmm. <laughs> or strikers and and then you know maybe we'll, we'll see about about the playoffs yeah and it, I, I think it for charlotte fans listening um it's tough like it, it's a tough league but if you look at nashville they're like the blueprint for success if you look at fc cincinnati that's what you don't want to be if you're <laughs> if you really want to look at it you don't want to be enter miami because you don't want to be bad and breaking rules um it, it, it just like as a Charlotte fan, I, I do think you guys are uh, at least their Charlotte is on a path for better success than some of these other clubs. I think they've got a vision and where they want to go. And I think they've got the coach and the direction. I think it'll be just a matter of now, like you said, is it a couple more wingers? Is it a couple more of these attacking players that they can get in to help? Because I do think their defense is actually pretty solid finding a goalkeeper too. But I, I think that you make some really good interesting points. Um, and I've enjoyed my time talking to you, um, Alex. And so if you will, one more time, just kind of plug uh, where people can find your stuff um, and then we'll let you out of here. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me on. Um, you can find all my stuff at uh, charlotteobserver.com slash sports. Um, I'm on Twitter at Andrea of Alex. 
And we are back from our interview. What a great interview, Logan. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Jordan. Um, and I know you probably will never listen to it, but <laughs> you yeah, I do have a flight. I do have it. a flight coming up too. I, I guess I could listen to it on there. That's true. Um, you could definitely do that, Jordan. Catch yeah, up on could, all things Charlotte FC. Catch up on all things Charlotte FC. Make make sure I make a good prediction in the prediction show with it. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about what Alex said. Okay. Uh, we always talk about what predictions and not predictions, but I guess what is the successful season? You know, she said uh, the the club continues to say <laughs> what a tough four spot. Right. A home playoff, playoff game. A home yeah. playoff game. Uh, that's not happening. Uh, when your coach comes out and says we're screwed, I don't think it's going to help push them to where they need to be. And also, let's let's think about what that sets for the rest of the team in the, in the locker room. Mm-hmm. You know, are they going to buy into it when their coach is already kind of writing off the position that they're in? I do think that they could win something, and I think that thing is the wooden spoon, unfortunately. Uh but look, that's Cincinnati's, right? Uh, so we'll we'll have to see if, if Charlotte can <laughs> wrestle away from them, right? <laughs> can can Charlotte wrestle the wooden spoon and kind of become uh, on top, or I guess on bottom yeah. of that situation? Um, she says, you know, the the bigger thing is making that impact with the fans and, and yeah. ticket sales and all that kind of stuff, and that's what I was alluding to at the beginning of the show. You get one chance to really nail it, and if they come out. And look, I'd say good thing that they're in that this is an MLS team. And what I mean by that is I don't know how much play that we're screwed is going to get on headlines on Charlotte newspapers mm-hmm. or anything. But it's imagine an NFL coach had said that. That would be yeah. everywhere. That'd be on USA Today. That'd be New York Times. This will fly a little bit more under the radar that casual fans may not know. So the casual fans might still show up and try to have a good time. But I I do wonder what sort of mood this sets for. And this is something we couldn't even ask her because this was afterward. But, you know, what kind of mood this sets for the fans that, you know, she mentions, hey, this is a successful season is getting the fans on board, you know, having good attendance, which all by all inclination seems to be where they're going. But when your coach comes out and says, we're screwed. And, you know, does that make some fans say, well, maybe I shouldn't go <laughs> to the first game. Maybe right. I should wait until they figure this out because we're, we're just two weeks away from the season kicking off that there is no way yeah. that this is going to work out uh, quickly. So, because imagine this way too, they thought they had this guy. So at that point, they're probably not communicating with any other uh, DP strikers. Mm-hmm. So now they have to scramble, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think a top four spot is very unlikely for them. I get it. Nashville's gone from the East, but uh, Charlotte has not shown me anything in their roster build that makes me think that this is something that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now we've been surprised before. I never thought Nashville would be as good as they are, but I don't know. I, there, there's some real questions on the roster and 
trading for all the international roster spots that they'll probably have to trade for again, or at least ship out some of the players if they can't get the roster spots. You're putting yourself in a huge hole if you're relying on trying to get international roster spots. Cause if you can't get one, then okay. That player's not able to come in now. Um, whatever the fall, do we even know what really caused this to fall through? I, I haven't really been able to see anything cause this all kind of happened while I was driving home from work. Yeah, so it was the legal issues they had. I I, I want to say it's again. I think it's more of like this abuse stuff. I, that's what it kind of sounded like. It just said legal for him, issues. like he yeah, had, for him. he had abused somebody and that fell something, through. Something he has done has gone against the law, and he has to deal with something with the law. That's what basically I had read that he had that that there's no chance he's coming over because he's gotten into trouble before wherever he's been. So, so maybe he can't get like a visa, or the that's team what I was thinking. Dropped it, or yeah. Like I, that's what I was thinking. Like, because when you when you say that, it almost makes it sound like again you can't get a green card if you've come over here and you've got issues. I mean, they've had players in the past that can't get over here. Um, but yeah, it says ongoing legal issues in Spain regarding Machis that is unresolved. And another wow. thing that's concerning about this, Jordan, is the fact that this kid is a striker. I had not realized he was a striker until you just said that. So they were going four four two probably or at least some kind of diamond and, you know, having two strikers or whatever it might be, kind of like a Philly situation. They don't have another, like, proven goal scorer on their roster. Like, if, if you look at their roster, they've got one striker, uh, and that's um, Carol Sadarsky, Sadarsky, who we talked about. Carol Sadarsky is it. Like, he is the forward. Vinicius Mello's been hurt, and he's a young kid that they are kind of trying to get into that situation, but that he was in the, I'm guessing this Machis, if he's a DP, he was a starting striker along with their other DP starting striker. Yeah. yeah, That's that's the problem. And you also have Angel Ramirez. What he also says was about making the playoffs difficult, very difficult. So if the club kept setting, we want a home playoff game. And now even making the playoffs is difficult, very difficult when half of the conference makes it into the playoffs. I don't know. Do you see him lasting this season? I feel like the club has totally different ambitions than what the coach does because I think the coach feels the way we do that this roster is not set up to win, but the, that ownership thinks it is. I, I don't. I don't know if they're that far off the page. So so okay. It's either that the ownership is very naive and think that they can just make it into the playoffs. And don't understand the sport, which yeah, I, I wouldn't put past them. Uh, then you have the other side of that they know it's going to be rough, but they still set that goal just to talk it up to their fans to try to get them in, which I also wouldn't put past them. T- to me right now, this would be the equivalent if the Baltimore Orioles said their their goal this year is the World Series. I mean, because that yeah. is as likely to happen as Charlotte is to, to get a home playoff game. Because... At that point, is it again? You're trying to get the fans into the stand because you're saying that, or are you saying that because you actually believe it? And if you actually believe it, and the coach doesn't do it, does that mean you have to fire him? Like, what is? That's the thing. What is their actual goal here? Because I think if I was to buy a team and come in, I'd say, look, we're going to try to win every game we can, but realistically, our goal is to have a good foundation for the future. And I think most fans would be totally okay with that because they're like, okay, it's the first year. Sure. 
they're not all going to be the Las Vegas Knights that made like a Stanley Cup Finals appearance in, the, in their first season or a Char- uh, or a Chicago Fire that won it in 98 in their first year because that's a whole old MLS style at that point. But I think now it's like, will the fans feel, okay, well, you promised us this and didn't deliver? So now we can't believe you on any other thing you say? Or do they say okay, you were saying that just to kind of get us in here, but it seems like you can't fulfill that. Like, that's how I would look at it as a fan. You know, again, if, if, if my example, if the Orioles were to say their goal is to win the World Series and I show up to every game and they <laughs> they lose 100 games on the season, I say, okay, you kind of sold us on something that wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what Charlotte response might be. If they're, If, like Alex said, that they keep, kind of banging home this point of a home playoff game is their goal. But what are your thoughts on it? Do you think ownership is doing this because they actually believe that's the goal or are they just trying to get people in? I mean, I, I'm to the point where the emphasis and Nick Kelly speaks to this too. And we talked about it, um, you know, on the, on the football operation side, they lose the president of Tepper sports entertainment. He leaves. They lose the technical director who is the, like the GM. I mean, Nick Kelly is the GM, but he, the technical director is the one making all the decisions that help product on the field, the Academy Jordan, they were even talking about like, there's been things written about their Academy players playing other Academy teams. And that's all they've had the last couple of years to look forward to. They look like they said they look so outmanned at times that it, it, it looks like the team's not even prepared. And then you look at this, like this is so bad and drake hills wrote about it taylor twelman wrote i'm reading through twitter as you were kind of talking reading the hashtags after that and it's all the major media sources going this is not a good look you had two years to plan a roster and now it just looks like you're scattering around trying to find whatever is left available and you're going to end up with whatever is left and available and that's not good because these teams are quick to to hawk in on people you've seen moves that happen Playoffs, yeah. Talk about the playoffs. Playoffs. Um, <laughs> this, it's, 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 I saw this and I had to do it. Uh, it's unbelievable. Like it's unbelievable that it's gotten to this this quickly. And you and I were going to raise concerns about the idea of the, the technical director Mark Nichols leaving for the crew because the crew are a better team and a better organization that cannot reflect well on anything. And and we talked about this. I talked about this with Alex. She said. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Like, it doesn't look good that your technical director builds this thing up. And then uh, before a ball's even kicked in training, boom, there it is. And now, Jordan, a ball was freaking kicked in training today. And the first time he has the ability to talk after a training match, he told the, he told Charlotte that they basically are screwed. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't stop laughing about it because I just I, – I feel so bad for Charlotte fans. Like, Austin, I thought, was kind of like, eh, like when they first started – I was like, this is rough. This is like abysmal. Like, this is the worst start you could possibly have. Now, it could get better, and and they do have some talent on this roster. I've talked about with Alex. I think the kid that they did bring over that they actually could sign, I think that Swidarski is good. I think Ben Bender is going to be a really good player. Oh, yeah, Baltimore native. He's going to be great, I think. But, but that I mean, Christian Fuchs is a 36-year-old right back or, you know – He's on a back hey, line that I Logan, just... I actually got I actually got audio of the coach saying this, okay? Oh no. In English. Are you ready? It's over. <laughs> we are screwed. <laughs> it's over. 
<laughs> That's a Michael Scott clip right there. Uh, that is. Um... <laughs> we turned off all the Charlotte fans, probably, but but I, I feel so bad for you guys. Like, no, I, I do want too. this to go he's, well. He's yes. a billionaire, right? We have billionaires yeah. owning teams. Let's okay. Here's the issue right now. We got billionaires in the middle of a lockout for baseball because they don't want to pay baseball players uh, their rights uh, because the baseball players are the ones that actually bring in the money, right? So they don't even want to share that. And then you have the billionaires that own a soccer team that just say, okay, I'm in this for an investment. They don't even care about putting a winning product. They want to get 70,000 fans in for the first game of the season. Yeah. Who is the draw? Christian Fuchs, who won with Leicester, yeah. you know, seven years ago? I, I mean, I, I don't understand what the draw would be other than just this is the hot new thing that this billionaire wants to make money off of. And when it all goes south, they're just going to sell it for actually more money than they paid for it. And then you're going to have to hope that another billionaire is going to you know, actually fulfill what they want to fulfill. And that's kind of the state of where we're at here. And it's out of that, or they're just going to keep taking the money anyway Mm. and not reinvest it because, Oh, when we tried to invest it, everything fell apart. Like there's such a bad foundation here that I feel sorry for the Charlotte fans because one, they could have had a cooler name. Okay. We got Charlotte FC. People really like Charlotte Crown, Queen Charlotte City. Down, you know, all these great names that they had available to them. No. Okay. We're just going to go with Charlotte FC. We get a logo that I think is pretty good. I think it's a good crest. Some people. Their kits don't. are beautiful too. I do like the kits. Mm-hmm. But the identity is not just the colors, the crest and the kits, the the identity is who you have on the field. And if it is due to some sort of legal issue, shouldn't you have been figuring that out before you got them? I I mean, I don't know. We have the Diego Almeida thing where he seemed to have been in some trouble, but you know, Atlanta waited to pull the trigger until I got more information. Mm -hmm. What, what was Charlotte doing then? Um, or did this blindside them? Cause they didn't look into it enough. I mean, we don't know really. I don't think the full extent of that, but it, it really is just a really bad experience for Charlotte fans. And uh, we, we do feel for you. This is, you know, Logan kind of posted this today about any time, not just about Charlotte, but any time a transfer doesn't work out, whether it's after the player arrives or um, before the player arrives, it, it sucks because we all want to see this league succeed and we want to see, you know, this is a brand new market. This is Charlotte. This is, you know, something that people could maybe get behind. Like I remember when Atlanta was announced in 2015, I was like, really Atlanta's going to care about it. And they do, mm-hmm. they show up, they fill Mercedes Benz stadiums more than a Falcons game. Right. And their ownership puts the money where the mouth is and they won a title. Will Charlotte, we don't know yet, but it's not looking promising right now, unfortunately. And it's very hard to remove an owner from sports teams that, you know, if this is going to be an issue, if they are going to have to rebuild not long after they built, you know, you're going to look at it and say, what was the point? 
you know, Christian Fuchs works well if you build something around him, but he's not going to be somebody that plays for another five years. So, you know, you, you kind of, if I was building a team, I would add one of those players as more of a extra piece around my core. And I don't think they've done that. I don't think they've actually built a, a solid core. Ben Bender is going to be great, but you know, we've also seen with teams like Cincinnati that, that do draft young players who then demand a trade. Right. Yeah. Uh, so what could he do that? I don't know. He, he's kind of seemed like he's been, um, you know, uh, in the Charlotte system, I think his brother was with independence or whatever, but you know, either way, this is, this is like really, um, troublesome. And, uh, I, I really feel for, there maybe it'll go okay i would set my expectations at wooden spoon and that's probably where i'm going to put them spoil alert for the preview and if they finish even one spot above that i say this is success successful season yeah because maybe not successful but like okay above my expectation at least i don't know what a successful season for charlotte is now mm-hmm. i would say just missing playoffs mid-table getting fans in, having them buy in. But I, I think that's very unlikely at this point. What, what would you say is a successful season for Charlotte before we wrap this up? Little to no experience as far as um, MLS is concerned. Harrison Offal's on their squad. Uh, Mackenzie Gaines came over from Austin FC, but he's young, so he doesn't have a whole lot of experience. Jalen Lindsay, too. He did not get a whole lot of run with SKC. Christian McCoon, or is that it? I think it's Christian. Um, he comes over from a really bad inner Miami, and he's, you know, a younger person. So he doesn't have a whole lot of it, – it, it, it goes on and on and on. I can keep saying this. Anton Walks is their best player, I believe. Um, their striker, it's going to take time for this striker to come in immediately and make a – I mean, I don't think it's going to happen immediately. I think it's a two-year thing. Jordan, the other issue that I really had, you need a really good defense, and I'm not sure they have it. Everything else around Anton Walks is an aging um, Kristen Fuchs. They've got Jalen Lindsay, but he was not good enough for SKC to kind of break into that. Um, when you have a an older back lineman in SKC that he couldn't get through, Harrison Awful is is kind of like that journeyman. So he's not one you're going to rely heavily on. And then their goalkeeping situation is a nightmare too. It's Paul Cisniega, um, and then two guys that. One's filling a supplemental spot, um, and he comes uh, uh, into Dejas, or I think that's how you say that. And then um, you've got uh, Marks, so it, it it just doesn't. And that's the young kid that they drafted. So I don't, I don't. Uh, they got a guy Kalina that came over in an international spot that they had high hopes on, but again, it just seems like this revolving door. Alex said that it was kind of like this. I don't know who's going to be in goal, and if it's going to be Paul Cisniega. I worry there too because that's, I mean, that's an aging goalkeeper that's not been one of the top keepers in MLS for quite some time. Like you said, I, my expectations, like you, I'm starting them at the very bottom because all the other bottom teams got a lot better recently because Dallas got better. Houston just got better. Austin just got better. And we're going to talk about, yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about Cincinnati Cincinnati next episode. Charlotte and Cincinnati, I think, are going to have a fight. Um, And, and that's too bad because both, New expansion teams. Charlotte's been around. They should be up out of where they are. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid that this is going to go more that direction rather than the successful blueprint that, you know, somebody like Nashville has laid out. 
Nashville, Atlanta. Uh, I mean, just look at the successful teams. They're going to be more kind like a Mi- they're going to be more like a Miami or right. a or a Austin, Austin or yeah. Okay, uh, so let's go ahead and and start wrapping it up here. We have uh, just want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Hopefully, we didn't scare off too many Charlotte FC fans. We're in your corner. Let us We're know your thoughts you. if you think that this is all going to hell or or are you on board with the vision of uh what the roster is i'm really curious uh i've not you know i i've been i joined an expansion team not as a player obviously um but when i started watching mls you know i i didn't have a team until the union joined and i started following them as an expansion team so i kind of know what it the process is of being an expansion fan and i followed orlando's closely when i lived in 2015 in orlando for a bit so i understand how it's supposed to go and um i think i'll judge it more accurately when we actually see games and such but you know if i was an if i was a charlotte fan i'd be really pissed right now i wouldn't be so pissed at my coach i don't think i think it'd be more right. at the situation but who did the situation the the team uh, the ownership, the the executives, right? So, I guess we'll see. I don't know how much say the coach has. Maybe this is him pleading for some sort of signing. But you can give us a follow on Twitter at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, Instagram at Stateside Show, or email us Stateside Show at gmail.com. And we'd love to read your responses on the air, honestly. So, if you do actually have any, it may not be on the Cincinnati episode because that's coming out, uh, that's recording right after this, but. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, I think that could be some good catharsis. Um, so write us, write us some stuff. Um, and that goes for any fan base. If you have frustrations, air it out. We like to read them on air. Um, I think there's also a voicemail way you can do it through anchor, but yeah. Um, anyway, this was the stateside soccer show. I am Jordan. That was Logan. He is screwed right now. And, no, Jordan. Uh, I think the way that you should in this one is oh, clearly the coach gives no fooks. <laughs> Make it a shirt. <laughs> We're fooked. <laughs> oh, yeah. I should say that we, we do have shirts available for the Philadelphia Union fans of the curtain is open. So I, I have mine on its way. So I'm really looking forward to wearing that. But yeah, enjoy the rest of night driving as we play you out. Tomorrow, throwing his body in, it's going to fall for Ibrahimovic! Oh, come on! Come on! Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. men's national team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.